waste is defined by the person who is not wanting it anymore. And so the regulation flows from the fact that it has been defined as waste. And it's only wasted because it's not wanted. It doesn't mean it's not useful. It doesn't mean it's not valuable. I don't think the people are the problem. I think it's the systems that need to change. And if we make the best thing to do, the easiest thing to do, it falls into place because people naturally want to do the right thing. Welcome to Restart Radio. I'm Dave Pickering and I make a monthly podcast for the Restart Project. The Restart Project is a London-based charity and social enterprise whose mission is to spark reflection and change in our relationship with gadgets. In this month's episode of the Restart Project podcast, I'm handing over hosting and reporting duties to Restart's communications producer, Holly Davies. We've been looking at reuse a lot more closely after the last couple of years. Through Restart's work on laptop redistribution during lockdown and repairing donated devices at fixing factories, we've learned a lot more about the world of donated tech. However, we wanted to expand our knowledge, to think about what's happening on a larger structural scale. We know that recycling should be the last port of call when trying to establish a circular economy model, only coming after repair and reuse. But government policies and targets are all focused on recycling, with little to encourage reuse. This means a lot of working devices are shredded for recycling instead of getting a chance for a second life. This year we worked with West London Waste Authority to run a waste composition analysis. For a week we looked at small electrical products, brought to their recycling centre and analysed what could have been reused and repaired instead of being recycled. Whilst we're well aware of the scale of our e-waste mountain, we were shocked by how much of it could be kept in use. Out of the 599 items that were brought to the recycling centre over the week, over one third or 217 items weren't even broken. A further 9.5% of these needed only simple repairs. That's almost half of the products brought to the centre that could go on to have a second life. Not only would that have a huge benefit for those who cannot afford a new device, the environmental benefit is just as big. If these devices were reused, more than 700 kilograms of waste could be avoided every week. If reusing these devices stopped people from buying a new one, that could save almost six tonnes of CO2e from manufacturing. The kicker is, there are restrictions on removing these items for repair and redistribution. So what can we do to change this? Now that you've had an introduction to our research and its shocking results, what do we do to solve it? Ugo sat down with Emma Beale, the Managing Director at West London Waste Authority, to talk about how we got here and what the solutions are. My name's Emma Beale. I'm the Managing Director at West London Waste Authority. At West London Waste, Our purpose is to be leaders in treating waste as a valuable resource. And we have a mission, which is to create a new accepted model for how waste and resources are managed. We're going to change how people perceive and understand waste. Brilliant. So I love what you say about saying that your mission is to change how people perceive the value of resources as opposed to waste. What do you mean by that? That's a big question. We have a a linear system at the moment where things are made and used and thrown away and either recycled or turned into energy. 
we need to create a circular system, one that's a bit more natural, one that you see existing within families where things are passed on and reused and shared and within communities. But we need to expand that so that it becomes the norm within communities. And that way we're protecting the Earth's resources because if we don't start to protect the Earth's resources, then they just become more expensive over time. And that's not great for future generations. The Restart Project has collaborated with West London Waste Authority over the course of now about a year and a half. We started our first fixing factory in Brent at your reuse and recycling centre, Abbey Road. And most recently, we've also run a waste composition analysis with your support, looking specifically at the range of products that people bring in for recycling. We were partly inspired by working on laptops in the past year. We found that many laptops could still be reused for parts or as a whole to extend digital access to families or people that wouldn't necessarily be able to connect and make the most of digital resources, for example. And so we wanted to explore what else potentially could be reused better. And what we found was quite striking. So we looked at a total of 599 products that were brought to the site. And we found by testing and analyzing all these products that a tremendous amount of them appeared to still be working, approximately 36%, and another 9.5% would probably be reusable after a minor repair. And that doesn't even take into account about a third of the products that we weren't able to test immediately because they came without all the necessary peripherals. But there could have been more there. This isn't in itself new, but it seems to be even worse than any reports that we've read in the past. And I wonder, first of all, what do you make of the current situation? So I'm looking at it from the waste management perspective, and there's a lot of other players in the chain. And I think perhaps we should also consider the whole system. From a waste management perspective, it appears to be time-consuming and costly to manage reuse. It takes a lot of resource, as you've experienced, to thoroughly check and determine what is and isn't reusable. And also needs and fashions change and you have to keep up with the changes. So it's a technical and a commercial activity more than a classic waste management activity. But we can learn from the past. So 30 years ago, there was no recycling. But now recycling is a substantial activity and it's managed at scale. And we would be astonished, all of us would be astonished if anyone tried to tell us we should go back to the old way of doing things. So it's no different with reuse. We will scale it up. We will transform the system and then it will become commercially and technically possible. And in the future, people will be astonished that we ever discarded all of these reusable items. It's interesting because with all the work of the Restart Project in the last decade, we always think that there will be a time when people will look back and see what we've been doing as what was just supposed to be normal, but somehow didn't happen anymore for a short period of time, if you look at the history of humanity, because I think we used to be more resourceful previously. What do you think is stopping all these products from being reused in the first place? One of the 
most important things that's stopping it is the definition of waste. So waste is defined by the person who is not wanting it anymore. And so the regulation flows from the fact that it has been defined as waste. And it's only wasted because it's not wanted. It doesn't mean it's not useful. It doesn't mean it's not valuable. Ideally, waste should be a technical assessment and it should be designed to prevent waste. An item should only be burned for energy if it can't be recycled. An item should only be recycled if it cannot be reused. And if we can change that presumption, then many of the regulations will need to change to support that presumption. So that sounds very simplistic and it's not simplistic. There are hazards associated with waste. We have to protect people, biodiversity and the planet from waste hazards. But what I'm advocating is a better balance and one that includes that risk of resource depletion. When you asked your question, the other thing that I thought about is what's causing the change? Why is now the time for that change to scale up? I think a large part of that is actually it's being driven by legislation. It's net zero. That's the thing that's going to cause the need to change. That's the reason why it will happen this time. Obviously, not everything that is theoretically reusable will easily find a new user. And we've also heard from people in charity shop sector that for some small kitchen appliances, which alone made up 18% of what we found in our waste composition analysis, the margins are so low that it discourages them from scaling up their reuse effort. Is logistics a major hurdle and how could this be improved? I would refer back to what we were just talking about a minute ago, really, in terms of it needs a public sector or legislative intervention. What we're doing at the moment is we're testing out various methods of calculating the costs and values of reuse. So we're testing out lots of different areas, including logistics, and we're using our projects to understand those levers and drivers because we have to be able to make it justifiable to the taxpayers for us to spend the money. The money appears to be an issue. Perhaps that's also one of the issues that policy could help fix, not just in terms of acceptability, but also in terms of resources. What policy changes do you think will make it easier for waste authorities like yours to scale up reuse? Well, the money is about supply chain costs. And so what we're learning with a whole range of policy interventions at the moment is that if you look at the whole system cost, you can put money into one part of the supply chain and save more in a different part of it. So extended producer responsibility is a, a mechanism for doing this. But also, as I said, just running the projects, understanding it, making it visible, showing the policymakers some of these levers and drivers, that will help them to decide what is the best policy intervention. I think we're still between us working out what they are, but I think we're getting closer to it. Some people have been advocating for a reuse target in the UK, which exists in some European countries in its infancy, at least. Do you think this could be useful for the UK or what other ways would be useful to help factor preparation for reuse as part of waste collection? Absolutely, it's useful. I mean, if you set a target and you fund things appropriately, then you find that we smash the target. I think the first recycling target was 35%. And now we're, we're aiming at 65%. 
We've just launched a materials collection service. It's a new service in West London, and we've set ourselves a 5% reuse target. It's largely bulky items, and it is too soon to tell whether we have under or overestimated what we can achieve from that project. Once you start measuring, you understand you know, where you can get to. You referred earlier to extended producer responsibility. It might well be that for some of our listeners, this is not a completely understood concept. Could you try to explain what this is and how does it relate to creating the conditions for reuse and repair being preferable to recycling? So let's start with pay as you throw, which means that when people decide what they put in their food waste bin, what they put in their recycling bin, what they put in their rubbish bin, what they don't put in the bin at all, they donate to charity or send for repair and donation. At that point, people should be charged for what they create in rubbish. And I think one of the blockers to pay as you throw is that ordinary people aren't in control necessarily of what they purchase. And so extended producer responsibility takes that thinking to a new level, and it's more of a pay-as-you-design idea. So as the thing is made, there is an understanding that at some point it will need to be discarded, and there is a cost for that discard. And so if that cost is allocated to the person designing and making the product, then they will make something that can be used for a long period of time. They will make something that can be easily repaired, easily reused. They might even put their own systems in place to take things back so that they can then put it back into their cycle. Doing it in that way means that producers are in control of the lowest cost methodology. So it allows them to compete and to do so in a way that protects the environment. Building on that, some of the current barriers and misaligned incentives are the tension between targets to reach for recycling and disencouragement, therefore, to try to seek value for products that are about to be turned into a contribution to reaching that target. Do you think there is a way to reconcile this? I think it's a measure of how successful we are at recycling. You have to go steps on the journey from rubbish to recycling, from recycling to reuse. And we're just at that transition point where we need to turn recycling into reuse. And it's going to be harder to recycle because we need to take some of that material and start reusing it. We maybe need to readjust our recycling targets or maybe we need to keep them the same and, and understand that it's harder. I talk to our elected members about this quite a lot because ordinary people love recycling. I think it's brilliant. They want to see the numbers go up. We have to find a way to explain that we're doing more, we're doing better, but sometimes the numbers go down. One example of how the numbers could be going down was the feedback we received after releasing the data of our waste composition analysis from community repairers in our network who pointed out that in many cases, even broken devices brought in for recycling could be a useful source of spare parts, allowing the inexpensive repairs of other products. How could this be facilitated? There needs to be a demand for spare parts. So if we, the waste managers, know what is valuable to the repairers, we can target it and salvage it. What doesn't work so well is attempting to salvage everything. 
Restart has been working with West London Waste Authority over the last year and a half to repair and redistribute donated laptops to improve digital access. How could diverting the items at the reuse and recycling centres on a much larger scale impact the community? Do you have a vision for that? Yeah, absolutely. As we transition to net zero, there will be approximately 10,000 new green jobs needed in West London. In addition, there'll be 120,000 carbon intensive jobs that need to transition. And we're part of that. So this work builds skills, knowledge, capability. It builds confidence. Also, some people prefer not to buy new or are concerned about ethical production or consider electrical items as luxuries. And building the pre-loved market is much more inclusive than the situation that we have right now. It brings more items to market in a greater variety and it suits a range of needs. And earlier you mentioned digital inclusion, and I think this is really important. People excluded digitally are being very disadvantaged. And so being able to get particularly laptops and smartphones back out into the community is really important to make sure that everybody is able to access the full range of services that are available to them in the UK at the moment. So... Other than the social impact, which is obviously massive, do you know the monetary value that's currently being lost in recycling all of these devices instead of reusing them? I've just bought my first ever dishwasher. It's arriving tomorrow. It's my third dishwasher, but the first two were handed down to me. So I've done a few calculations. If an energy-efficient long-life dishwasher costs £1,500, then my example is, as a consumer, I've saved £1,500 over about 25 years. But waste managers think in cost or value per tonne. So looking at it from a waste manager's perspective, if those two reused dishwashers had a resale value of, say, 50%, then that's £750 each, which is a bargain given the use that I got from them. If the average weight of a dishwasher is 130 kilos, then each dishwasher was worth £5,769 per tonne. It gives a really large value per tonne. It captures the cost of the materials and the labour that went into making the dishwasher in the first place. It's a value. When that dishwasher comes and gets smashed up, it goes at zero. That's fascinating. So basically what you're saying is there is a lot of economic value in preventing things from ending up smashed or shredded and getting them into reuse. It's just that we're not designed to calculate that as a target in the UK or in most other countries, to be honest, as of yet. It's also one of the reasons why the waste management industry is pushing for change as hard as it is, because waste is the bellwether of this carbon economy. And because of how we cost things and because of how we calculate things, we can see clearly where the value is. The difficult thing is for us to help other people to see it, to understand it. And so the reason why we're doing our projects in the way that we are, the reason why we do these calculations is to create data, to use that data to then create visuals so that other people can see it just as clearly as we do. It's also about coming up with powerful narratives of the success stories and organizations successfully diverting waste for reuse. Could you tell us about some of these happening at 
Western Waste Authority sites or elsewhere? Well, the project that we did with you at our site in Brent at the Abbey Road Recycling Centre, one of the things that we created was a sign out of used electrical equipment for the fixing factory. And it's been really popular. When they see the sign, people understand what we're doing. They understand why it's useful. They want to participate. They're inspired by it. And so it taps into our knowledge that resources are valuable and that they set you up for life. I've still got bits and pieces of my parents' cutlery from when I went to university. I've got my dad's old chest of drawers that's now being put aside for my son. There's a cycle of renewal. There's a natural instinct to care about people and belongings. And local government is steeped in this. It's all about community care resources. There are lots of amazing reuse projects up and down the UK. Manchester has the Renew Hub, which is probably the largest scale that I've seen in one place. And when people see it, then they suddenly get a sense of just how many useful things are being thrown away. Surrey has reuse shops on the recycling centres. Devon has some wonderful projects. The Welsh government is putting a lot of focus into this area. There will be many more than I can name or have seen. But what I know for sure is that when you show people these visuals, they don't necessarily need the detail of how much is happening and how great it is. They understand the importance of it quite easily. And so it's an important part of doing it. Don't do it secretly, silently, you know, in a big warehouse or a big shed. It needs to be upfront. It needs to be visual. It needs to be part of the community. What are your own plans as West London Waste Authority to increase reuse? So we've got multiple projects. As I said, we're investigating the hidden costs and the values. We've procured a social value calculator so that we can understand the wider good that the reuse projects do. We have to be able to justify what we spend. What we find is that spending cuts for local government sometimes have unintended consequences. And by understanding the social value, there are ways that we can reverse that. So, for example, the cost of social care is a big cost pressure for local government. But if we can spend a pound in the waste budget and save three pounds in the social care budget, then that's a valuable thing to do. Providing somebody with a bicycle or a laptop can result in that person landing their dream job. We can capture those stories. We can share those stories. What we want to do ultimately is create a network of circular economy hubs. We want to normalize reuse, give people options to consume less without having less, create new work, new skills, opportunities locally. There's plenty. We look forward to seeing more. At the moment, however, for many people, there seems to be a bit of a confusion about what recycling actually means, whether it includes any reference to reuse or not already. I mean, to some extent, even reuse and recycling centers don't make that distinction very clear. How can residents be helped in extending the lifetime of products now? I do think that recycling is a catch-all for many people. But what I've learned from the projects that we've started is I don't think the people are the problem. I think it's the systems that need to change. And if we make the best thing to do, the easiest thing to do, it falls into place because people naturally want to do the right thing. You mentioned the example of the Renew Hub in Manchester. And what they did there was setting up reuse containers for people to be correctly signposted to a little bit like what you did with the laptops for the fixing factory in Brent. Do you think this could lead to more 
uptake of reuse as opposed to recycling already? Or do you think that some additional filtering of things that might have been deemed indeed for recycling, but could still have a reuse value would be desirable? So when you start working on things like this, you find yourself with customers at both ends. So you have your customers that want to donate and bring you reusable things or things for fixing. And then you have your customers who want the materials, the products, the items. And the hardest thing is matching the supply and the demand. At the moment, I think there is more supply available than there is demand. So the reason that we are starting with small projects is because if we opened the floodgates and said, bring us all your reusable items, we would get more than we were able to actually get through the system. It's a systemic change. It's difficult to plan when you are a range of different organizations. But that's another really important part of what we're doing, building up the numbers of organizations and people and communities that we work with in order to ensure that we've got that smooth transition of materials through the system. The UK is also behind on legislation on right to repair compared to what's happening in the United States and across Europe. And rather than promoting reuse and repair, we keep seeing strong messaging on increasing recycling with reuse almost constantly seen a bit as an afterthought. How can we move away from such a wasteful approach, also in purely communication terms? This podcast is an excellent example. You're allowing me to talk about some of the things that we're working on. And I think the more that we talk about what works, painting that vision of the future, expressing things like just how astonishing it will be in the future when we look back that so much is being thrown away. I saw a BBC Breakfast News clip when they went to visit the Renew Hub up in Manchester. There's a chap called Dan Carolyn who's responsible for the operation there. And he just expressed his sense of dismay that all of these things had been thrown away. And just more of that, talking about it, engaging local politicians, central government politicians, inviting them to come and see the projects, will build a really strong vision of the future. And it's important that we do that. The sense of shock and disempowerment from the amount of things that are still definitely worth more than it seems is something that our Restarters who'd worked through the waste composition analysis reported back very, very clearly. So we have their own feedback and encouragement to really help explain to as many people as possible that the system can only change and the quicker the better. It is tough, actually. I experienced that myself as a waste manager because you can't clog up the system as you're trying to change it. You have to keep things moving at the same time. Some of the really strong visuals are pictures, pictures of mountains of electrical items or mountains of textiles or mountains of food waste. These visuals, I think, bring it home to people. The invisibility of waste is a problem. You have a wheelie bin, you chuck it in the wheelie bin, you close the lid, you forget about it. So making all of these things more visible, I think, will make it easier for other people to understand. Thank you. And as a final thought, how can 
our listeners who could be individuals, community repair organizers, uh, professionals in the design or hopefully waste industries as well. How can people help to accelerate this switch, the shift to a system that recognizes the true value of products and materials that are already in the system? We understand the cost as consumers and one of the barriers as a consumer is the difference between having upfront money and money on a monthly basis, say. And it can be very difficult to purchase something long life, easily repaired, because it costs more upfront. But the truth of the matter is, is the person who spends more upfront spends less over time. And so we need to make that possible for everybody. The calculation that I did about the dishwasher, looking at it from a waste management perspective, understanding what does waste cost us and what's the value of materials. And then you start to see these really eye-opening numbers. I think if people could start to understand things in that way, they would find it much easier to persuade people to do things differently. So that would be my advice. It's hard work to secure real change around reuse and repair policy. But Emma has a strong belief that it is so necessary to the public good, it's almost inevitable. And it's true, as Ugo said, that as a society, we have a pre-existing history of championing reuse, repair, and the conservation of the materials that go into making our stuff. It's a way of thinking that was once the norm, and can be again, You can read more about our study with West London Waste Authority on our website at therestartproject.org if you search what a waste and learn about how you can be involved in the process of making those shocking statistics a thing of the past. Restart Radio is a show aired on Resonance 104.4 FM and a monthly podcast uploaded to the Restart Project website and found wherever you get your podcasts. As with all episodes of Restart Radio, we'll include links with background information to all of the issues and stories discussed over at therestartproject.org where we've also set up a fundraiser. So if you've enjoyed this episode, do make sure that you donate there to help to fund the future of the podcast. The music that you've heard in today's episode was made with lasers and repurposed electronics and is a collaboration between Opto Noise and Cassini Sound. And big thanks to Restart's communications producer, Holly, who does the research and the planning for the podcast. And now it's time to pack up the equipment and say goodbye to each other. Goodbye, everybody.